0: Welcome to Romans Untangled, the podcast where we take a seemingly difficult book of the Bible and untangle it so that we can enjoy its beauty. Season 1, Episode 5, The Theme of Romans, Romans 1, 16, and 17. If you were to ask, what is Paul's letter to the Romans all about, you would find no more succinct way to answer that than by simply reading two verses from Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Today, on Romans Untangled, we'll unpack the theme of Romans suggested from these verses. Hey everyone, Uh, Pastor Steve Treichler here out of Minneapolis, Minnesota, Hope Community Church. I am so excited about this week's uh, podcast, I can't even tell you about it. I've been thinking about this for so long, and I gotta admit that I'm gonna be excited for about five weeks in particular, as we dive into the rest of chapter one, more about that later. Uh, so I just I just want to first off just begin by saying, I hope you're excited about this because I, I really am. One of the things I've decided to do, and I, I mentioned this last week, was I'm going to every week give you what I'm just going to call simply a Bible study tool or, or just ways of understanding Scripture better so that as we tackle, and, and admittedly, Romans is one of the most difficult books in Scripture, As we tackle this difficult book, we have some tools in our tool belt, and so that we're able uh, to start to go through some of the difficult things. And this week, I want to actually give you two different tools for your tool belt. I'm going to do one in the beginning, and then I'm going to do one later. And the one I'm going to do in the beginning here is something that really isn't talked about much uh, for beginning Bible study uh, people, and that's just simply looking at the connecting words. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. And then later on in the podcast, I'm going to talk about how, how do you read the Bible? And I know that sounds like a silly question, but I, I want to ask the question, how do we read our Bibles? Do we read it frontwards or do we read it backwards? And that'll make more sense when we when we get to that uh, section in a little bit later. But first, let me talk about some of these connecting words. Last week, I spoke to you about the different English versions of the Bible, and we talked about those that are literal, and those are that are more thought for thought, and those are, that are more paraphrased. So it kind of goes from a spectrum of taking literal the words of the. In this case, it's a Greek language that the Bible was written in, or the New Testament, especially the Book of Romans, is written in. And and then we we do it word for word, one word, bing, another word, English word, and right on down. That's that'd be like the New American Standard or the English Standard Version (ESV). Then the NIV is kind of more in the middle, New American, or excuse me, New uh, International Version. That tends to be a little bit more on the thought per thought idea, and as we continue to go across, there's a whole bunch of versions, and you can Google this and just say versions of the Bible or translations of the Bible philosophies, or you can see the charts, and then as you move way over, you get to, to uh, things like uh, the Living Bible, or in the case I read from uh, Eugene Peterson's The Message, and all of those are extremely, uh, extremely valuable. One of the things valuable, very valuable, in fact, about going to a literal translation, so like the ESV or the NASB, New American Standard Bible, is, is learning the very first word of each verse or, or each sentence, and they're little... They're little words in the Greek, and they're just, they're, what they're called, they're little connecting words, and logical connections is what's taking place here. And so you get some of these words, and in English, it gets kind of monotonous. It's like you're a run-on sentence, or man, just speak more clearly. But when you're trying to understand the Bible, and you're trying to follow the train of thought, and especially, nowhere in Scripture is it is it as important than with the Apostle Paul. He wrote very tight. He wrote very logically, and I know some of you who like math are like, yes, this is awesome, and those of you who like arts or whatever, um, you can do an interpretive dance about it or something, but <laughs> sorry, but you have to kind of think along with the scriptures. There's a ton of beauty in scripture, a lot of poetry, but there's also just straight up logic, and and you have to look at some of this in order to understand it, so I, I kind of wanted you just to notice those first words, and there's there's a whole bunch of them, right? Simply put, and, right? The word and would mean you have a a series of things. You have this and this. Or you have or. It's it's not both of them. It's one or the others, right? Uh, You can have a sentence where it's conditional, in meaning it's if something, then something. You could also have something that's like a condition, but because the condition's already met, then it's for sure on the answer. And that would be since. Since you are getting up, Go and get me milk from the refrigerator, my old man used to say to me all the time. You could have something as like, this. they ask a question, and then there's an answer. A very a very common one is but, right? It means this is a statement, but contrasting, there's this. And there's a lot of these. So that, so that, or sometimes it's simply just that, or it says as a result. That just means simply that it's giving the result of something, Uh uh, you could say something like "because," and this is a big one with the Apostle Paul. He often uses the word "for." It's it's a it's a simple three-letter word in Greek. It's it's pronounced "gar," but it it just it just means "for." F O R, and it can really have two. There's there's more than two, but primarily two meanings. One is it can be because. In other words, I'm saying this and then I say for, I went to the refrigerator for I was hungry, right? Why did I go to the refrigerator? Because I was hungry, right? Or you can use the for to mean like an example or an explanation Uh, and it would be similar to say that is. And so sometimes when we come to the word for in scripture, we're gonna have to ask, is this an example or is this actually giving the reason why? Okay. Now this is going to become really important in our study of Romans, especially as we look at the first three chapters, because there's a lot of fours and those are basically being the, the they call it the ground of the argument. Don't get freaked out by that. All I'm saying it is, it just means it's because. Uh, because I was hungry, I went to the refrigerator to get something to eat, right? It's the reason why, and it gets like deeper meaning of what's actually going on. We're going to see that today in some of our Study of that. So let me give you a, let me give you a little quick review where we've been. We've talked about uh, Paul and Rome. Uh, we've talked about that it was a a Jewish and a Gentile church, but the Jews had to leave for a while. So the Gentiles are most likely in uh, the. The uh, leadership of the church and the Jews have come back. And so they used to be in charge and they're not in charge anymore. So you got that whole, you know, just issue with people. But then you also have the sociological racial issue, actually, between Jew and Gentile. So that's a big thing in the book of Romans. And then in his introduction, Paul introduces himself, but he also gives a hint to what he's going to be talking about. And he's really after the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're going to see that the theme of Romans, the idea of Romans is the gospel. It's just the gospel, right? We're going to see that today clearly as we look at the theme. Of, of what's going on. So today um, we're going to dive into uh, after, uh, you know, what happens from, from Paul's beginning. He, he kind of gives them a blessing and a thanksgiving and a prayer for them. He's very thankful for them. And then he dives into his rationale, which most scholars would argue that this is the summary or this is the theme that he's going to give his, his thesis statement, if you're familiar with that, if you took any writing classes in high school or college, where you had to give you a thesis paragraph or, you know, right in the beginning of what you're going to be talking about. Most people argue that this is it. Um, and he says this in Romans 1. I'm going to read from the NIV, and then I'm going to read from the message. Again, these are uh, two different versions here, just so that you can hear. It's only two verses. NIV first. It's news I'm most proud to proclaim, this extraordinary message of God's powerful plan to rescue everyone who trusts him, starting with Jews and then right on to everyone else. God's way of putting people right shows up in the acts of faith, confirming what scripture has said all along, the person in right standing before God by trusting him really lives. Now, the, in this particular version, uh, the New International Version uh, is fairly literal, but I'm going to go to a literal version here just and also read that to you so you hear it. Just It's a little bit more ambiguous than NIV, a lot more ambiguous than the message. The message makes some interpretive decisions, most of which I would say are fantastic, but, but just so you know, here's the English Standard Version ESV, and maybe that's the version you're looking at. Let's dive into this thing. so it's there's there's a lot going on here and uh, uh we're gonna we're gonna talk about it a bit here in our next uh you know the rest of our podcast and also we're gonna let then the rest of Romans kind of really really fill out what this means. So let's just kind of go after this thing. Let's look at verse 16, go back. if you have your Bible with you, that's best, but if not just kind of listen along. and Paul some says some very shocking things here in verse 16. The first thing he says is, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And he uses the word for. And again, this could be, remember what he said uh, right before this. Remember that? He is talking to them about why he wants to come to Rome. And he's talking that he's passionate to speak to both Greeks and to uh, either non-Greeks or barbarians is what he says. Both to the wise and to the foolish. And he says, that is why I'm so uh, eager so passionate, uh, um, uh, he goes on to say uh, that I'm that I'm, I'm a, a, I want to preach the gospel to you who also who are in Rome. For, and most people take that as probably a because the reason why I'm saying this is yeah. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of you know he stops there of the gospel. Now that's just a weird thing to say, right? I, you know I, I I suppose you could say something like I'm not ashamed to be from Minnesota or you know I'm not ashamed to be from Wisconsin. Well that's not a bad example. You 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 probably should be. But the the <laughs> the, the idea here is is it's an understatement. It's a way of almost saying I'm proud of it. But at the same time he's acknowledging that And he says this in his other letters to the Corinthians. He says, the cross is foolishness to those who don't believe. So he's acknowledging. And Paul's even probably thinking of his own life before he was a follower of Christ, where the cross was foolishness. And now he says, I'm not ashamed of it. In fact, not ashamed would mean I'm proud of it. I'm happy to be declared. When I will, I will easily tell people, I'm a follower of Christ. I love Jesus. He is the one that I live for, all right? Then he goes on to say, why is he not ashamed? And here's where he, he starts the, the rationale, and it gets deeper. Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Okay? Now, that's an interesting phrase. I know a lot of you. Uh, if you're brand new to the Bible, man, I'm I'm excited for you. A lot of times when I lead people through Romans, because oftentimes people that are 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 so used to the Bible, they're so used to hearing these phrases, they don't stop and go. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What does that say? But if you're brand new, it it perks your ear and just says, wait a minute. Gospel. I thought the gospel was a message. Wait, wait. The gospel. You know. Uh, God loves us, but we're sinners, we're separated from him, Christ died for us. Uh, I thought that's a message, you know, that we just need to accept Christ. And, and there's, of course, so much more to the gospel than that, but, but not less, of course. But it's, it's more than just a message, right? Here he claims that the gospel, it's not the message of God that brings salvation. It's the power of God that brings salvation, And you might be thinking, well, what is that word power? And that's one of those really fun words. And you can do this too. You can go on Bible Gateway or whatever, look at the original, see some of the, what the words, the word there originally is a word called dunamis. If you heard that right, it is exactly where we get the word dynamite from. This is the explosion of God. This is the the thing that just transforms. It's huge. This is power of God time. It's God displaying who he is and his, all of his power. Whoa, what does this power do? It brings salvation to everyone who believes. That is going to be a huge part of the book of Romans. There's a lot here. There's three big words you got to unpack here. It brings salvation. Well, what is salvation? Salvation. Well, obviously, historically in Scripture, it goes back to talking about the the people out of the Red Sea, right? They they were saved from from salvation. If you read the Psalms, it talks about, "Oh God, save me from all these horrible situations I'm in." So, salvation is a rescuing. It's a it's a it's a grabbing onto someone. And to, to save them from a, a certain peril, right? And we're going to see what that peril is here as time goes on in, uh, matter of fact, we're going to see it next week when we look at verse 18 and on in, the, in chapter 1. Who is it for? It is for it brings salvation to everyone who believes. Now, you know, I, I assume most of my audience here is American, and we just would think, well, duh, of course it does. This was not the way people thought. You know, they, they just thought it was a Jewish thing. And uh, you looked at the, the whole racial tension going on in our culture now, and it was thick then. It's been thick throughout our, our, our human history. But for Paul to say that the gospel is for everyone is an extreme claim. It is today as well that God loves you, God cares for you no matter What's your racial background, no matter what your moral background, no matter your financial background, this brings salvation to all who believe. Paul's gonna spend a lot of time talking about this idea of trusting Jesus Christ. Then he goes into this and he says, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Now that's an amazing phrase. And again, because it's a summary statement, it's a teaser to us because you just got done saying that it's for everyone. And now why do you say it's first to the Jew? Why are they first in line? What's the deal here? Uh, We're going to get into this later. But Paul is basically saying, yes, it was first to the Jew. But that the only advantage that they have of being a Jew is that they got firsthand to see the works of God. Other than that, there's no advantage. But they did have an advantage. Then it's to the Gentile. Now, that brings us to 17. Most of the ink on, on this passage is found in verse 17. In that passage, it says, "I'll be reread it again. If you're just listening, you're driving in your car or whatever. So he says this. He says, for, that means because. So he says, uh, I, I want to come to Rome. I'm eager to speak to you. Why? Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone. Why? For, because... In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Whoa, okay. So what's the the bottom of all of this, of the of the of the rationale here is the, the in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, and this righteousness is by faith from first to last, or as it literally says, is from faith to faith, but that means it's all about faith. I think the NIV translation is fantastic here because this is one of those deals like we talked about last week, that if you translate it word for word, it would say it is by by faith to faith. Well, that doesn't make any sense to us in English. I think the NIV translates it very well that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And he's quoting an Old Testament passage here. He is quoting from uh, Habakkuk and there's this passage in in Habakkuk 2 verse 4 where it talks about the righteous and how they live and what they do and and this is a, another theme in Romans where he's going to quote from the Old Testament often and what Paul is actually saying just even in these two verses is that the gospel is not a new story the gospel is the completion of the old story. Now, in the remainder of my time, and I'm watching the clock here tick away and can't believe how long it's, how short is left, <laughs> I want to talk about the this Romans 117, and especially I want to talk about the issue of the righteousness of God. Okay, that phrase, the righteousness of God in the book of Romans, is talked about in seven verses. It is talked about in uh, verse 117. We see it here. It's talked about five times in chapter three. We hear this phrase, the righteousness of God, or and it, it might be phrased a little bit differently, but the concept is the exact same. This righteousness or whatever that is, that's in chapter three. And then it's talked about in chapter 10, uh, again, of the righteousness of God. And so uh, Paul is using this phrase quite a bit. We're going to, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be a, a spoiler here and go to all the places he uses it in the book of Romans. So let me go to a 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and that's one place where he unpacks it as well. And he talks uh, in 2 Corinthians 5 about this whole idea. And let me just quote, starting in where the sentence really begins, in verse 18, all the way to verse 21. He says, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And here's the message, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And then verse 21 says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, so there's that phrase, the righteousness of God, right? Now, most uh, scholars would agree that there's basically four ways to interpret this idea of the righteousness of God. The word in, in, in Scripture, whenever you see, both in the New Testament or the Old Testament, if you see the word righteousness, it is the exact same word as justice, okay? So, you could just insert the word justice, for in it, the justice of God is being revealed, right? It's the same idea. It, it flows with that, with that. And so with that, there's four ways that people have seen it. First would be the justice of God. In other words, the the, the gospel is going to show off the justice. In fact, this is the way that Martin Luther, uh, before he became a follower of Christ, read the book of Romans, and he would say, how in the world can the gospel be good news? And and if you're familiar with that phrase, gospel, it literally means good news. And so how can the gospel be good news? Because the gospel is going to reveal the justice of God. I know that I'm a sinner, says Martin Luther. And I know that when God, when I meet God face to face, it's not going to go well because I know that he's going to declare his justice upon me. That's not good news. That's terrible news. How can that be a good thing? The second way of looking at it is it's the faithfulness of God. And I'll go in, I'll unpack this. In other words, it's saying, no, it's not about the justice of God. It's about God showing off his faithfulness throughout all of history. The third way of putting it is saying this is actually the righteousness of God is actually something given to us. It's a status of being found just or being found righteous by God, and it's given to us by God. And the last way of looking at it, the fourth way, is it's God's act of putting people in the right. So it kind of combines a little bit of the second and the third, but it's it's a little bit similar. This is, if you read Douglas Moore, this is the one uh, he really likes. Now, how do you decide where you're going to go with this? And you you have to make a decision. So this is my second thing I want to teach you about Bible study. And I just want to ask a big question, how do you read the Bible? <laughs> I know, it's like, oh, man, you're going to do that in like three minutes? It's like, I am, yeah. <laughs> the big question is, in biblical studies, is how do you read scriptures? And and the big question is, do you read scriptures forwards or backwards? What I mean by it is this. Many people now, and it's very common in modern scholarship right now, to read the Bible forwards, which is like, well, that's, that makes sense. It's the way you read every book, Right? And so what you do then is, in order to understand Scripture, you look at what was happening at the culture, and you look at what the Old Testament was saying— and then the New Testament must align with that. So we look at uh, the Old Testament data and we try to understand uh, what the a first century Jewish person or a, you'll often hear this phrase, second temple Judaism. It just means that time of when the second temple was built. And what did they think about? How, how did they go through things? And, and what was a first century Jew thinking? And then therefore uh, that helps us frame what Paul probably meant here about a phrase like the righteousness of God. And so therefore... Uh, they would say things. Well, in the Old Testament, it it never meant you know some of the old things. It means more the faithfulness of God. It's this God is showing Himself off, so it can't possibly mean what Martin Luther thought, either pre-conversion Luther, the justice of God, or post-conversion Luther, where he thought it was a status of righteous given by God. Okay, so you read it that way, and then you say, um, okay, so this is very different than what I ever thought, and it it. <laughs> That makes sense until you get to the end where it just says, the righteous shall live by faith. And we'll like, say, what does that have to do with it? And then you get to chapter three, and I don't want to spoil it here, but you're forcing that into it. What 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 I believe how you read the scripture is is how Jesus read the scriptures was that all scripture points to him. In other words, that you 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 read it like you watch the movie uh, the sixth sense. And if you remember that movie, uh, it's a spoiler alert, but it's over 20 years old now, so you can do it. I see dead people. You don't understand what that means until the very end of the movie. And then you rewatch the movie to see if it fits, and it does. Jesus is the I see dead people. So everything points to Jesus. So you actually read the Bible backwards. Everything is pointed to Jesus Christ. So therefore, as we look at the book of Romans, in this phrase, the righteousness of God, we got to say this is somehow revealing who Jesus is, what he's done, the gospel of Jesus, and uh, then we ask the questions of, okay, then how is Paul and the rest of his letters talking about it? How does it fit with what happened at the cross and what happened at the resurrection of Jesus? How does that fit? And so therefore, we read it forward from from our understanding of reading it backward to saying we're not going to let the Old Testament dictate how it's going to run We're interpreting the Old Testament in light of the New, not the New Testament in light of the Old. Now, it's not that we're not going to look at the Old Testament. Believe me, we are. But the big question in the book of Romans is, do you have your storyline right? And Paul's going to argue over and over and over that the Jews, like pre-conversion Paul, did not have the storyline right. They had it wrong. They knew it very well. They memorized a lot of it, but they didn't know. That Jesus Christ was the answer to everything, and when Paul becomes a Christian, everything changes for him. So when this righteousness of God is being revealed, it is the best news ever for us. Now I'm not going to spoil it uh, because I want to let this unfold. And we're going to hear from the Apostle Paul. He's going to go right after. It's going to start. It's going to start right next week in, in verse 18 and and on. That we want to let the book. Help us to understand what does this book mean more. So let me summarize here what we've went over. A couple couple studies we did at looking at scripture, linking words and connection words. We also looked at uh, the idea of how to read your Bible and, and Christ being the answer. Of course, we want to know what's going on historically. Of course, we want to know what's going on back and forth. But ultimately, this points to Jesus. These are the scriptures that speak of me, Jesus says in the book of John. So this week we looked at the theme of Romans, and the theme of Romans is that the gospel is the power of God for everyone who believes, and it's because the justice of God, the righteousness of God, those who want to be made right with God, it's through faith in Him. I cannot tell you how excited I am to continue with with this, and what we've just been given is such an invitation and a bit of a teaser into our study of this amazing book my encouragement for you is just to continue to read the book. Continue to look at this. See Jesus afresh. And perhaps, just perhaps, as we engage with the gospel of Jesus and the power of God, we will be continually transformed by what he's teaching us. Join us next week as we begin this study of the gospel in a four-week miniseries that I'm calling The Revealed Wrath of God. As we begin to see how beautiful the good news of Jesus is, we start off by understanding it in the contrast of the bad news. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.